So today's the beginning of living like Jesus, what does that look like? And uh, uh, some of you will say, well, that's easy. We'll just look at WWJD. What would Jesus do? Remember that bumper sticker, the bracelets, the pens, the corny keychains, you name it. We call it Jesus junk when I worked at a Christian bookstore with all the, the little stuff you get with Bible verses on it. And, you know, we give kids prizes in Sunday school. And it was a mess to manage at the Christian bookstore because, oh my goodness. But anyway, that stuff. And so the answer has been uh, become a bumper sticker. That how do we live like Jesus? Well, just live like him. We're going we're gonna to come back to that. So instead of what would Jesus do, we're going to look at LLJL. Ah, we'll get to that later. Shh, in the front row, hush. So how are we going to do this? John 10.10. 10. We're going to look at the words of Jesus to launch this. And you've heard this one before, but I'm going to, I want to read this from a couple of translations. Because if we're going to look at the life of Jesus and some of the key stories in the Scripture, in the Gospels, that's where our focus is going to be for the, and from now till Easter. Is that we're going to look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and uh, find some of the cool stories that reveal the character of Christ and why he bothered to come. And I want us to learn to observe some potential patterns, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. So John 10.10, 10. a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. I'm going to read it from several translations. The most traditional would be the New American Standard Bible. People would know that one, especially if you've been to church for like ever. Um, this, is, this is the one you'd know. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Woo. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. Now, as you change translations, it adds color. Now, the reason I say it adds color, it's not that this doesn't have color. It does. It's just that I've heard it. For, how old am I? Okay, I'm almost, I am 50. So I've heard it that way for so long. And when you hear something the same way over and over and over and over again, it gets gray and it needs color to come back to being reobserved, and I think that's the beauty of reading multiple translations instead of just one. So the uh, New Living Translation came out, and it, it takes that same verse and says, Jesus said, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. How many have a full cup of coffee this morning? And probably not anymore, but you, you have a full cup, and when it's really full, you're really careful so you don't spill. And I did some really overfilling once, like a couple weeks ago, where I had the pot of coffee, and oh, it's done, great. So I pour another water in the top and walked away. Fullness, overfullness, and black tinted liquid is all over the counter because <laughs> I overflowed it. I forgot to put a new pot under. My purpose to give life in all of its fullness. Are we experiencing fullness or are we craving more fullness? That's an important question. That, that tells us the approach we're taking when we read anything in the Bible. Are we looking for getting more fullness? Or are we approaching the Scripture from fullness? And if you don't know you are already full, then you're going to approach it from a place of lack, trying to get something you already have. Your lens and how you read the Bible matters. It really matters. Two more translations. I came, this is from the message, this is really slang. Um, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, this is starting to sound like what the Christian life should be. 
because the Christian life I grew up with it has been kind of sold a, as a boring section in the bookstore, you know, that nobody goes to anymore, the archives. And uh, I, don't, I want fullness. I want more and better. And I'm, I like dreaming. And if you have any artists here or people involved in the arts in any kind of way, there's dreaming and creativity involved. And how do we manifest those dreams and ideas that come to us? Well, I'm telling you, the source is Jesus. It really is, no matter what your personality type is. He's, he's actively at work. We're gonna, again, we'll cover that later. Um, the Passion Translation. I love this one. This is my, my new favorite. If you can't tell, if you've been here a couple of weeks, you'll know. But I have come to give you everything in abundance. There, we captured the word from the old one. More than you expect, more and better life. Life in its fullness until you overflow. This should be our goal, to experience the overflow, abundance of Christ in us, which means we first need to learn who is in us and how much of him is in us. Unlike what I grew up with. I grew up with, um, I asked Jesus to come, be my Savior, come into my heart, but I have so much control because this whole Christianity thing is about me at this age, way back. Because I control where God is at any given time based on my behavior and my attitude. So when I, when I misbehave and disobey and, and do things in them at places I shouldn't be, God has to exit and he stands over here while I do my bad thing. He can't be near me because he's so holy. He can't handle sin, right? We've heard that one. We'll cover that at Easter. That's a myth. But that's what I believe. So in my mind... I was not experiencing fullness. So that then my Christian life was about trying to get closer to God. How many have heard that term before? We need to learn to get closer to God. You know, How is that even possible? How can anybody get closer to God when he is the one holding the universe together? Every, oops, every single speck, every single um, molecule is held together by Christ. How, how, how can we be apart from him at the smallest level? You can't. But in my mind, I felt he was far because I was believing he was far. Therefore, I was living out of what I was believing. Everybody here lives their lives based on their concept of who they think God is, where he is, and what his character is like. Everybody does. Jesus came to fix that image. For all of our flawed, incomplete images of what we think and who we think God is, Jesus came to correct it. And this is how he launches it. Some of you have heard of the mirror Bible. Can I have the control back? There we go. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the thief shepherd has no other agenda but to steal, kill, and couldn't care less if he lost some sheep. I have come with the sole purpose for you to have life in its most complete form. In uh, the word apumli, uh, to lose, is often translated to perish. Steal, kill, and destroy. Remember that from the other translation? I came, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? That, that's what it's talking about. Not caring uh, at all. And we see this more and more in churchianity. People say they love Jesus, but they don't give a rip about their neighbor, and they only agree and love those who agree with them. Have you ever seen that? Yes, we do that. I have done it. And I'm constantly repenting and learning what this looks like. And God in his gentleness is saying, that is not who I am. 
I'm about fullness. I'm about inclusion, not exclusion. Period. Non-negotiable. Oh my goodness, it gets better. That's why I want to look at this character of Jesus. So in John 15, he gives us some advice. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what it says? No, it says apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, I can do a lot of things. I really can. So can you. And we can do a lot if we, what we call apart from Jesus, which is implying there's a separation, which there isn't. This is, this is about your mindset. But what is done, not abiding in Christ, not relying on his life and trusting his words and uh, being obedient to his voice, that stuff never leads to true fruitfulness. That leads to wood, hay, and stubble that gets burned up. It's gone. Big deal. And a lot of people are so busy trying to do things for God out of duty, trying to gain something they, already, they, they don't know they already have. That stuff gets wiped out. And yet God still uses it? I don't get it. Sounds like this God we say we believe in is bigger and smarter than we think and is far more gracious than we ever knew and loves us far more than we can fathom. John 15, 4 and 5 from the Passion Translation says this, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine. You're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Wow. Powerless. I believe in our minds we can be separated from God. I believe we can really think that and try to act independently. We've talked about independent living before. But this, this is how Jesus says abundant life is supposed to happen. It's not us trying to make stuff happen. It's resting in Christ, in us. I love the, I, the focus on union. Did you catch the union word there? By the way, union is the best kept secret in the Western church. Most churches don't talk about our co-crucifixion, our union, oneness with Christ. Because if we ever did focus on that, I think a lot of things would change. We would love people better. We'd judge much less. And we can't hear it enough. It, it could take a long time for this truth to hit your heart and become more active. But I love the Passion Translation for that. Philippians 1.21, Paul, the author, writes, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's the traditional translation. We've heard this before. If we're going to live like Jesus, how did Paul do it? He said, hey, uh, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. What does that mean? Another translation of the message says, Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. So win, win. We always think if we die, oh no, we've lost. And yet we get to be with the Lord. It's a win. Now, don't hurry up the process, okay? 
We're wired to live right here, right now. This is, this is how God created us and created our natures. Uh, the Passion Translation says, My true life is the anointed one, and dying means gaining more of him. Your life is not independent. Your physical life, your spirit life is not independent. It's impossible. The source of your true life, your true identity, your spirit is Christ. You're one with Christ. That's the source. That's from where we need to learn and live and be aware of that presence in us and aware of our union life. How can we live this abundant life with the same passion as Paul then? Then we're going to begin by looking at how Jesus lived this life. That's what today's about, just laying a key foundation, and then next week get into some stories. Let's unpack how this person in flesh walked and lived among us, um, ate food and got in trouble with religious leaders and how he lived. We're going to look at those stories starting next week. But let's get a foundation for his mindset because once we understand his mindset, maybe there is something we can learn. Maybe there is a pattern. Maybe we can see a pattern that will encourage us and lead us into a much more freeing way to live day to day, to experience. I, I want to experience the abundant life. I want to experience the fullness overflowing life. Don't you? I, I'm assuming you do. I, I want to experience it. I, I know about it. Uh, I've heard about it. I've seen it in Scripture. Uh, I'm told it's in me, but I want to experience it. I want to feel it. I want to touch it through the practical applications Christ reveals to me and to you. It begins like this. Some of you have heard this. This is how Jesus communicated it. This is, if we're going to look at how he lived, let's see if we can see a pattern here. And some of you will, you'll recognize some of these verses. In John 5.30, Jesus says, nothing, that means nothing. Okay, even in the Greek, it means nothing. Nothing I do is from my own initiative. It's really important you capture that. For as I hear the judgment passed by my Father, I execute judgment. By the way, do a word study on the word judgment. It's not quite what you think. Because what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word judgment? Is it positive or negative? Negative. Well, there's your first mistake, and mine too. And what else do you associate with judgment? And execute, you just heard the word execute. Penalty, payment, ha, 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 wrath. Oh, my goodness. Folks, let's look at Jesus himself, how he interacted Let's, let's find out how he understood the word judgment. It's far more restorative than we ever dreamed of. We have some unlearning to do and discover a better, hope-filled perspective. I'm serious. This is great. Okay, let's get going. And my judgments will be perfect because I can do nothing on my own except to fulfill the desires of my Father who sent me. This is Jesus, the Son of God, saying I do nothing on my own. Okay, let's, let, let's see the pattern. Next, John 7, 16, it says, So Jesus responded, I don't teach my own ideas, but the truth revealed to me by the one who sent me. That should be a significant clue. Next, John 8, 28. Then you will realize that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I only speak the truth that the Father has revealed to me John 8, 42, I've come from his presence. Ooh, he just declared something, didn't he? 
Whose presence? God's. He's claiming he's been in the presence of God. God, the unknowable. Like, this is huge. It's big. Okay? I didn't come here my own, but God sent me to you. And what he didn't say either is three of us came. Father, Son, Spirit, the whole trinity, the whole package. Are you hearing a theme here? Two more. John 12. By the way, the book of John, if you want to start reading a book of the Bible at all, book of John, by far. Then go back and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is the most relational book covering a short story of the life of Christ. And it's done from a, a very personal connection that John himself had, where the other ones are written more from a, a doctor's perspective, historical perspective, capture all the details, blah, 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 and you'll see some parallels. Four different stories covering the same time, but four different people writing, so you have four different perspectives. That's why you have differences between them. They're seen from different people. They remembered different things. They had interviewed certain people, and they gleaned different information. A lot of it paralleled. But that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. But John, by far, the best book. If you want to know the heart of Jesus, that's the one to read. John 12, 49 says, For I am not speaking as someone who is self-appointed, but I speak by the authority of the Father himself, who sent me and who instructed me what to say. John 14, a little later. The Father did not send me to speak my own revelation, but the words of my Father. There's something going on here that I didn't see growing up. You see, I always thought Jesus had the God card in his back pocket. You know, the get out of jail free card, you know. Here you go. I'm God. You gotta forgive me. I, 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 I got the extra power. I got the extra insight, you know, because yeah, I'm God. He didn't play that card ever. I always wondered how could Jesus live the perfect life, not sin? Well, because he had the God card all the time. Like, come on. If I had that, I would never either. Like, seriously. Don't you wish you had that? Yes. Actually, you do. You're one with him. And here, Jesus modeled something we can learn and we can find out it's actually possible. We have the God card in our pocket. We're one in union with God and he has given us all the power we need to live a godly life. We see that in other places in scripture. If this is how Jesus lived, giving all claim to his father, deflecting, I didn't do this on my own. These aren't my words. Uh-uh. Those are his words. Talking about his father. Then how are we to live? in the exact same way he modeled it. And Jesus declared to us how we are to live. He told us. He said, remember, look at this, John 20. This is a little later. As the Father sent me, I also send you. What does that mean? Before we're done today, I hope you'll understand what that means. Later on, we read this already earlier, John 15, 5. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's something about this interconnection and the source of flow. 
And then John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. We always thought God the father was not in the picture throughout the life of Christ in the whole, all the stories of his, of, of his 33 years, especially the last three years. We think God is sort of there. We kind of, he pops in once in a while. But his father is at every moment intimately whispering thoughts to his son, encouraging. Why do you think Jesus went off to pray so often and for so long? Who prays that long? Like, seriously? Sounds so boring. You know, all night prayer, oh, sign me up. We just, as long as it's not in the night, we set our clocks ahead one hour, you know? I tell you, no, please pick that night, then, I, then it's faster, right? You got that. There's something about who you're talking to and connecting to. I do not see girlfriend, boyfriends, dating couples, couples in love, get exhausted from hanging out. I remember in dating years, you have your, when we had telephones attached to a cord? <laughs> it's nighttime, 1, 1 a.m. Good night, I'm going to go to sleep with you in my, oh, I'm going to go to sleep with you like this, yes. Good night, I love you, I love you too, yeah, still there, yes. Like you just can't get enough of each other. Because of a want, because of a desire, and Jesus knew his father, respected him, loved him, and he knew the power of source. He goes further, begs the question. If God did all the talking and all the directing, then how many miracles could Jesus have done if he acted on his own? What if he didn't listen to his father? What if he pulled out his, his, his phone, his Google phone, and looked at the calendar and said, okay, what am I going to do today? Okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to help the fisherman down by the bay, give him a full uh, net this morning. Great, and that's at 9. At 10, I'm going to go down to the synagogue and heal a couple, pe- 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 couple people at the gate. Uh, and then at noon, I'm going to crash a funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll please God. That'll please my father. I'm going to raise some from the dead. Yeah, this is it. Father, today I give you my list. May you please bless it. Is that how Jesus did it? No. It was as he was going, every moment, this is how he lived. How many miracles could he have done if he acted on his own, independent from his father? You, well, some will say, well, he's God. I know, but we're making a case here for how it happened and who the source of these miracles was. In the same way, what can we accomplish acting in self-sufficiency? Absolutely nothing. Take a look at this. The miracles. Did Jesus really perform miracles? Well, let's take a look at what the text says. Just like Jesus said, hey, these ain't my words. These are my Father's words. I tell you today, these are the Scripture's words, not my words. Peter continued, people of Israel, listen to the facts, details, the pattern. Jesus the victorious, the word victorious means Jesus the Nazarene, the branch, the Aramaic word used here also implies the title of an heir of a powerful family or one who is victorious, Jesus the victorious. So listen to the facts. Jesus the victorious was a man on a divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you know how God performed many powerful miracles and signs and wonders through him. 
Who did the miracles? God the Father did the miracles through his son. So how did Jesus know what was going on, who to heal, what to do? Because I remember him going to the, the pool of Bethsaida, and you know what? All he did, he had a laser zoom, and he had one person the whole place. Like, that one just baffles me already, you know? Here comes the greatest healer of all time. He could just go, stand up, y'all, you're free, and woohoo, and there's a big party, and man, he could have all the followers in the world just by, you know, he'd visit the hospitals if they had any, you know, he, he'd be doing all that, but he didn't. He zoomed in one man, because his father spoke to him, that one. He may not have known even when he showed up, but he's trusting his father. He's walking around, father says, that one right there, <gasps> okay. And then he finds, God tells him the story, the background. And Jesus asks some questions. Do you remember the disciples asking Jesus, hey, when are you coming back? And he said, no one knows the day or the hour, right? He didn't know. I thought he lied. You know, God, he should know. Jesus knows everything. Uh, somebody got it wrong. No, the Father hadn't revealed it to him at that time. Does he know now? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But here, the Father intimately tells him what to do and when. Warns him, gives him insight. He knew what the uh, uh, Pharisees were thinking. How? Because Father told him. He's got this Wi-Fi connection that is so powerful, you know, 5G, 10G, 100G, whatever. It's like, it's like right there in real time. That's how Jesus lived. And that's how we are to do this life of Christ. What Jesus was doing was, in fact, abiding. Jesus modeled. In the same way I, the Father sent me, so I send you, the Father let Jesus abide. And Jesus abided in the Father. And, and we're, if there's going to be a pattern to repeat, it's that that we repeat. It's abiding we can copycat. It's trusting, it's yielding, it's surrendering. It's moment by moment, instant by instant, relying on instructions moment by moment. And in his time of long prayer, he received relationship encouragement. Not Maybe he got instructions, but I'm going to guess this is more about how was your day? Oh, it was really good. Did you, did you see that one guy's face when he healed his thumb? Yeah, that was funny. You know, uh, that kind of, I'm sure there was an intimate connection between him and his father. There had to have been humor. Look around here. He created us. We're made in his image. There's going to be laughter. Okay? And I'm sure there was joy in the, among the disciples. Like, these aren't just 12 guys and these clerical callers following their Messiah, you know, doing what he said, bless you. And all that. They didn't do that. These were raw, young teenagers having a great time figuring things out. Raw as ever they're fishermen. You know, that gets pretty raw, Okay? Uh, as far as their talk, their mindsets. Oh my goodness. The people Jesus chose. Are you kidding me? I thought he'd go to like the temple, pick the ones who already knew half the Bible, right? But no. <laughs> he goes to teachable people who are ready, open. What is abiding? Abiding is this. Living in the constant awareness that Christ is in you. It is trusting that he is your source, your voice, your thoughts, your passions and desires. He is your rest. 
Jesus knew that about his father. And he abided in his father, trusting his father as the God of outcomes. God's got this. He even was honest enough to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be your will to remove this tragedy that i got to walk through in the next little while, I'll do it, but not my will, but yours. He trusted the source. Do you? That's actually a good question. So many who proclaim to wave the banner, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Push comes to shove, I'm going to control things my own way because I don't trust that God right now. We're, we're, we're into our own control systems and crises reveals who we're yielded to or not. How Jesus did it? He did it like this. Philippians 2, 5 to 8, a profound text. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let this let his mindset become your motivation. That's a big line. Let his mindset become your motivation. That's why I shared the verses up until now to show you inside the mind of Christ as revealed to us in the scriptures. He says this. He existed in the form of God, yet gave no thought of seizing equality with God as his supreme prize or something to be exploited. I love that footnote in this text. He did not take the God card and go, see... I'm God, I'm God, you know, getting all the attention and making sure, bring it on. He didn't do that. He came humbly, not using who he was so he could exploit it and use it, manipulate. Hmm. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. I saw a quote about a couple weeks ago. Uh, how come there are so many leadership conferences everywhere, especially in the church, when leadership's only mentioned two or three times in the New Testament, but servanthood is flooded throughout the texts? Hmm. I thought that was, I'm still thinking about it. He became a human, he humbled himself, became vulnerable. Choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He obeyed his father. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. There are a bunch of stages here that Jesus submitted himself to. This is worth studying on your own, Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Jot it down or come back to the video later, screenshot it, whatever. But this is how Jesus did it. He emptied himself. Kenosis. That's what theologians call this. Jesus uh, emptied himself. He chose not, here, here's how, it, how I wrote it, while being 100% God and 100% man, he chose not to live out of his deity, but rather he chose to live out of his humanity, not using the God card, but to live just like you and I, being fully God, fully man. Never tapped into that source because the true source he had to live from was already in him, and he had to learn to listen and abide and grow up. He then became, he, when he came, he laid aside the right to live out of his deity and instead lived out of his humanity, lived in the absolute dependence on his father. He had to. Next time you think you have to go pray, rethink this. Maybe there's a magnetic pull 
drawing you. In fact, I remember when I first um, understood my identity, I stopped having devotions, and I was a pastor. I stopped it because I was doing that to become, to get closer to God. After about nine months, after a bit of roller coaster pendulum swinging, because when you learn new truths, your pendulum swings. Woohoo, I don't have to anymore. Woohoo. You know, then the Holy Spirit got me hungry. I want to. I want to read. I want to pray now. And suddenly from the source in me comes a desire to want to. And it was almost hard to start it up again, but I found a new way to do it. And I didn't have to do it at 7 o'clock in the morning for an hour with the list beside me, which was fine and is still fine. I still use a list once in a while. I don't want to forget. There are times I want to focus on people, and I can't remember everybody's names all the time, so I go through the list. Circumstances, make the list. But I'm praying not at 7 a.m. anymore. I'm praying 24-7. I didn't know it. I was praying in the car. Lord, give him a flat tire. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm praying as I'm uh, getting gas. I'm, I'm, I'm praying wherever I am. I'm in constant communication with the Savior who indwells me. Recognizing, being aware. And basically, you can even say prayer is the moment of awareness he's there. It's like, ooh, hi. Hi. That, just that. You don't have to have eloquent words. Who told you that? Maybe some church service. Church services don't always reflect true relationship. They can help become a place to experience something of God, but it is not the completeness of God, I promise you. This is just one way to experience God, only one. There are so many other ways. Just as he abided in the Father, so are we to abide in him. Not what would Jesus do. Because what would Jesus do puts the pressure on you. It is now up to you to have to figure out what would Jesus do in this circumstance right now. Wait, he wasn't, you know, like what would Jesus do? You see where I'm going. Now you have to judge how to respond. How would Jesus respond to this person? but he turned over tables there, but he was really kind over here. Which one's the right answer? How, how do I know what Jesus did or what he would do? Now I have to become God. My own self-sufficient choice and try to perceive what would Jesus do. Jesus never thought, what would God do? <laughs> Think about it. He couldn't have. Instead, he was so intimately connected to his father, all he had to do was listen. And the instructions came. It was so stress-free. It was so simple. There aren't 20 steps to becoming a better Christian. There aren't five steps to get closer to God. They don't exist. Those steps, if they're used, are there to help you. Listen to this. I'll show you the value of some of those steps. To help you become more aware at any given time so you begin to practice the awareness of the presence of Christ. That's what the steps can do. The steps are just a tutor to get you to walk in abiding. Steps are okay. In fact, I encourage it. Go for it. If you're having trouble getting into a routine of a life change, a pattern you want to recreate, then find tools that will help you. Bless you. So what would Jesus do? 
let's, let's, let's switch the letters up a bit. How about, how, look how Jesus lived. That's a better way to do it. Look how Jesus lived. Not to copy him, because Jesus did not say, copy me. Because otherwise, we'll go to the scriptures and go, okay, he went to the hospital, Bethsaida, where all the sick people were, and he went and healed people. We copy that thinking, now I'm being like Jesus, look. Okay, get up on that cross then. You want, you want to go all the way? You can go all the way. That was his life to live. Oh, by the way, your life was in his when he did all that. You've already lived the Christian life, the Christ life. You've already lived it. So don't go and copy the behaviors in the scriptures. Those are God's instructions to Jesus. He's giving you different ones. You're in a different circumstance around different people. He wants to express himself through the unique you. You know how much pressure that relieves? It's like, whoa, I don't have to try to figure this all out. Live like Jesus lived. And how do we do that? One word. Abide. That's it. There isn't a to-do list. I don't know how many churches have these manuals of how you're supposed to live. If you go further south, it gets bad. <laughs> you know, I've seen them. But the, the list is a person. Jesus Christ in you. He doesn't want you to do anything for him. He wants to participate with you, first loving you, letting you receive his love, and then love others around you, expressing himself. You're going to co-love people as you coordinate with the voice of the one who's in you. Wake up. If you want to redeem what would Jesus do, call it watch what Jesus does. Because as you do LHJL and LLJL, WWJD will be experienced. Watch what Jesus does through you, as you, in union with you. You can stop trying. And you can stop judging yourself, too, for not getting it right. We do that a lot. You're free. Jesus doesn't judge you. Oh, yes, he does. Sorry, I take that back. He judged you as clean, pure, forgiven, holy. Now live like that. If that's how Jesus judged you, I'll take his judgment any day, and I'll let him execute his judgment. Don't, don't, do you agree? Would you like that kind of a judgment executed on you? I do. That's my Jesus. That's the one we're going to unpack in the stories in the next couple weeks. Ephesians 1.3 says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from the wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ in union. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. We don't come to church or we don't do our moment of worship or experience of worship to do this ritual to God because we've got to appease this God. This, that's a pagan thing, by the way, to appease the gods. You know, do your dance and make sure he's happy with you because he might zap you if you don't do the right dance. Oh, no, get the right incantation out there because you've got to say it right just in case he gets ticked because he's so sensitive. No. No. We celebrate him. When we worship, it's in response to all he's done. 
It's in thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. And that rolls up a whole bunch of other emotions. But we don't do the actions in order to attain something or get a reaction. How many churches do worship experiences in order to get a reaction from God? What reaction? The reaction would be from you as you worship and respond to the love of Christ in you. It's going to be greater than all those other activities we've seen in other circles. <laughs> Motive. Very interesting. Lastly, Ephesians 1, 8, 18 to 19. This is an awesome prayer. It's a prayer for all of you. It's for me. Paul writes, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination or innermost, a.k.a. heart, flooding you with light until you experience, there it is, the full revelation of the hopes of his calling. How many times do we ask God to give us a sign or give me more knowledge? I want more understanding. You know, we need a revival. How many have heard that? I need a revival. Oh, Lord, bring revival. You don't need revival. Oh, my goodness, you need revelation. Revival wears off. It just does. But revelation never does. You cannot unsee the glory of God when you see it. When you see the goodness of God, you cannot unsee it. You can forget about it. It can be forgotten, but you can't unsee it. And he's in the business of reminding you. Let's go. Uh, where was I? Here we go. Until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling, that is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. Oh, he finds it in you. In, already in you. Already in you. You caught that? Hope so. I pray that you will continually experience, there's that word again, the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of his immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power through faith. And we've already covered the topic of faith, and we will again. But faith, even that, is a gift to you. You can't muster up faith. Faith is already in you, and it wakes you up. And then you live from that faith. <laughs> don't ever let anybody tell you you don't have enough faith. You have all the faith. You have the faith of Christ. Next week, let's explore the stories about Jesus expressed in the Gospels, how he interacted. Have a little bit of fun. See where this goes. I hope you'll join me with that. Let's pray.